Is there an afterlife? Clear. If you could just wait, please, Mom. Are you sure you wouldn't like some sherry? Angela, I'd like you to say this at this time. I could, please, really. Be quiet. Can I just say this at this time, please? Silence! I have come for you. I am death. Well, that's cast rather a gloom over the evening, hasn't it? You don't see it that way, Jeff. Let me tell you what I think we're dealing with here. A potentially positive learning experience again. Shut up! Shut up, you American. You always talk, you Americans. You talk and you talk and you say, let me tell you something and I just want to say this. Well, you're dead now, so shut up. Episode 117 of the Cult of Matt and Mark, Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. And make sure to like us on Facebook, the Cult of Matt and Mark, or hit our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com, or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. Show news. You got any show news this week, Mr. Hudson? Well, I finally got to the end of Dark Souls 2. Woo! I don't think that's really the end. I think you got to play through the game again to see everything. So when's Dark Souls three coming out? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it was, it was like an eighty-hour jaunt the first time through. So we'll see how long it takes Damn me to man, go through the second time. Two full work weeks, <laughs> right there. Jesus, two full work weeks of joy. Uh, not much going on with me. Uh, just you know, busy weekend uh, scheduling baby activities and uh, trying to. <laughs> Fuck man, I don't know. It's, what sort of ba- it, the, the, your kid's not even a year old? What sort of activities can she get up to? Well, it's not activities. It's just well, with the baby, our baby at about eight months, you have to keep your eyes honed on the child twenty four seven. You cannot look away. It's one of those things. So either myself or my wife, unless she's in the playpen or strapped into the high chair or taking a nap in the crib, mm-hmm. if she's outside of of one of those venues. Your eyes must be trained at all times on your child. You so, know what we we did with my uh, my mom's dachshund when she first got her. We put this long string across the yard. It was like a, a run or something. And then you just leash them up and you hook it on that string. Then they can run back and forth on that line, but they can't get too far away. You know what I mean? Yeah, just, but just I an think, idea. I think if the police were driving by, they wouldn't think too much about the dog. But a child left. Well, look, out you, in the do, yard. you don't have to use the ball gag. <laughs> So what what happens is it ends up being very exhausting, and really there's only one functional adult in the house all weekend long. So when you got a bunch of shit to do, uh, there's only one. You're, you're a man down. You're, it's mm-hmm. like a it's like a baby power play in hockey. Somebody yeah. got red carded. Yeah, you're red carded. You're red carded for popping box. out a baby. And uh, you know, so like even things is like I'm gonna go mow the lawn. Mm-hmm. The, the you for whatever let, reason, just just keep the, let the kid roam around the yard while you're mowing. Just strap her on top of the lawnmower. <laughs> uh, that's what those the baby, baby. Fucking baby! No, I'll put the whole baby seat right on top of the. Uh, well, as long as it's an electric one, it won't get too like hot. You have to get some of those. You have to get like some of those blowing in her face ear protectors that everybody puts <laughs> on their kids. I could put her in the backpack. She'd be above at least the. Uh, you know the, the the machinery should be up, up high. I don't think she'd enjoy it too much. I don't enjoy it, so why would a baby enjoy going back and forth across the lawn? You know, for an oh, hour. Oh man, that's funny. All right. So uh, this week our film is not Monty Python's The Meaning of Life, uh, although it did heavily spoof our film this week, which is the Ingmar Bergman 1957 classic, uh, The Seventh Seal which uh, is in the original Swedish, and so Mark and I had to read. Listeners had to read this week. Yeah, the, uh, uh, the, the there's a lot of pretty, there's probably a really good dialogue in this movie, so it was a, it was a good heart, it was a good uh, concentrated uh, subtitled movie. You had to concentrate on it. Get to yeah, the right. There was a lot of a subtlety and nuance that mm-hmm. I'm sure was lost in the translation as it typically is. Yeah, maybe, uh, may- but there still seemed like there was quite a bit of humor in, and uh, and emotion that was conveyed yeah. through those subtitles. 
Exactly. Okay, so let's get into the plot rundown here. Uh, Bergman regular Max von Zadow stars as the 14th century knight named Antonius Block, warily heading home after 10 years' worth of combat. Disillusioned by unending war, plague, and misery, Block has concluded that God does not exist. As he trudges across the wilderness, Block is visited by death. Uh, garbed in the traditional black robe. Unwilling to give up the ghost, (laughs) so to speak, Block challenges death to a game of chess. If he wins, he lives. If not, he'll allow death to claim him. As they play, the knight and the grim reaper get into a spirited discussion over whether or not God exists. To To recount all that happens next would diminish the impact of the film itself. We can observe that the seventh seal ends with one of the most indelible of all Bergman's cinematic images the near silhouette dance of death so there you have it that was almost almost a review almost a review it was a rotten tomatoes i should write my own i should be just like hardcore and write my own why then if we have to do too much work we're never going to record this podcast speaking of writing i was going to bring up show news i am putting out my uh one of my novels self-published under a pseudonym or a nom de plume so uh, Chronophage will be coming out under my nom de plume, M.G. Churchill. So <laughs> mother's maiden name. Anyway. That's but, pretty cool. Uh, I'll be hyping it heavily because I need all the folks I can to, uh, I where, guess, not even really. Where do we really, purchase it? Well, you go on to Amazon and buy it. Uh, the the thing I need. Well, should we to click do. through our Amazon banner on the Cult of Malt Malt Mart? Yeah, right. Yeah, send some wind into the sales. Double the dip. I know <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're 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 too low tier. Well, plus we'd get patent trolls coming after us if we monetize this podcast at all. So we don't want to do that. But, um, uh, you know, is is it when's the audiobook coming out? Because I am I am hooked on that Audible dot com. Let's divert the podcast. I will begin reading right now and end eight <laughs> hours later. Eight hours? Is that is that thin of a uh, volume, huh? Eight hours? I don't know. People are like fast readers of novels. I, I've heard like the average hundred page novel reads about eight hours. Is that true? Uh, more audio books than me. Well, not, not audio-wise. It might read when you're reading it, but when you're verbalizing it and, and taking the pauses at you know periods and doing voices and stuff it's it's more than that it's got to be at least i mean for i think a thousand pages would probably be about 40 hours okay all right so, that's a lot so yours yours would probably be like 18 hours or something i guess or 15 or okay 18. all right let me begin no all right so uh anyway that's coming out i don't know when it's coming out i gotta get i gotta get some uh copy editing done on it so people can read it but uh I've uh, got the whole Kindle formatting thing down, so it mm. should come out fairly decent looking. Who's going to copy edit it? Uh, I have a friend of the family. She's a copy editor down in oh, L.A. Cool. who's just going through it and fixing it up. And then my novel, Nova Byzantium, is coming out, I think, finally in August. I have cover art for it. I've been sort of slow to release the cover art because I think they might make some tweaks to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's coming out in August. Mask Books is putting it out. So cross your fingers. Hopefully there won't be another slide in that delay. Sorry. Sorry for the shameless plugs. Well, I've been reading all the other great titles by Mask Books. Oh, yes. I cough. <laughs> Uh, it's all chicks, man. Is so it it's chicks? Like, I'm like one of the few dudes that that has a book out on there. Yeah, I just go. I just so. put in romance, vampires, and uh, like uh, zombies, uh, and anything yeah, we, that pops up, I read. We've moved on. I think Mass Books has finally uh, given up the ghost on on uh, vampire romance. Novels. Oh, you know, I I didn't take. Did they have some romance stuff? I I wasn't. Yeah, that's like their that's like their gist. As some of it is sort of sci-fi, paranormal romance. I don't know for the ladies. You know, you know, you might want to do some YA sci-fi. I think there's a big market for that right now. Dystopian YA sci-fi. I think I that's mean, the cash cow. I must start writing now. Well, I mean, that whole jumping fire or whatever it is called. That's right. With Katniss, what's her name? Ever as clear. I, as, I, as I go, no, <laughs> you got the last name right. I, I refer to her as Cat Piss. Everclear. Yes, <laughs> Everclear. <laughs> that's right. But that's 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 dystopian young adult sci-fi, right? Yeah, there. no. There's another film that came out called Divergent that was humping that fucking genre for all it was worth. I mean, I, I, I don't I don't see anything wrong with that. I personally, I I liked uh, the Harry Potter books. I thought they were pretty good. They were young adult. No, that's what started kids. it. J.K. Rowling. She pioneered. Well, we have to. 
you know, we have to make our fiction young adult because adults can't handle adult fiction, so we got to go to young adult. I don't think there's a. I don't. I don't know what the. There's not a huge difference. Young adults just more. It feels more like a TV show. It's just the simple melodrama. I guess not. Uh, I mean, I it's not. It's more. It's more. It's more like a. It's just more page turners. It's just entertainment. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I mean, because like young adult. Why isn't uh, Lolita by Nabokov? Why isn't that young adult? It's about have, young you, adult. have you read that? I never read that. No, I never I read any Nabokov. I think that's his. Uh, that's his his one trick pony was Lolita. Oh really? I no, I don't think so. I think really? he had some other books out there. Boy, yeah. we're anybody who's well read. We sound like a couple of cretins right now. Ditching the. All right, let's move on. On that note, let's move on to getting into the Seventh Seal. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, have you seen the Seventh? Have you seen the Seventh Seal before? I had never seen it. Boy, I was I was uh, I was certainly pleasantly surprised by this movie. It was really great. Well, it's interesting, and it's a quiet movie. It's very, it has some kind of bombastic moments, but it's sort of a subtle reflection. And I mm-hmm. think the time in which it was set, the 14th century, uh, post, I guess it's post-Crusade era, it, it doesn't really dwell too much on its history. It just no. kind of takes place in plague-ridden Europe. Uh, it really it lives in its, in its time. It doesn't well, try to explain that time. It's really, it's really pleasant. And it's sort of important, I think, to the story is that uh, because that's sort of I don't know. I, I got a little bit uh, what's the right word uh, wistful uh, on some moments of the film. And uh, what how so? It? I guess I don't quite fo- follow. Uh, well, I guess the whole thing about playing a chess game with death, and the the whole point is is. I think the night. Uh, well, starters. Let's talk about. Let's talk about Max Fons and Alice. What was the night's name? Antonius. Antonius. Block. He's a, well. He's a metaphor, really. For, uh, I mean, he's a metaphor because he's a crusade knight. So he's dedicated the past ten years of his life, uh, physically retaking the Holy Land for Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and. To go on such a, I guess, quest, you need conviction. Uh, at least you need faith and you need at least a very get, sound. To, to start the quest. To start the quest until you get into the raping and drinking and conquest. Then it probably gets a little fun. And then I like how John shit. says, he says to that woman, he doesn't. he's not really interested in rape any longer. It can be a little dry. <laughs> That's right. Oh. <laughs> dry wink wink. Oh, my God. That was a pretty funny joke. Yes, I didn't catch that. Oh, you I didn't? didn't? Catch oh. that one, no. Yeah. No. Well, I could. I guess imagine. it's an off-color joke. Not everybody the, appreciate that one. By the time you got to southern Turkey, I bet you you'd be getting a little bit. Uh, it's like you know this whole raping thing. Just mm-hmm. uh, I need a little twist and a little kink in my raping, and I'm not quite getting it anymore. You know, throw oh, the girl under the hay. Just, all you need to look is looking to see what the uh, what Genghis Khan and his brothers did. They 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 kinked it up with the rape. Did they kink it up? You had, I think they had one type of rape where they would um, get a bunch of guys together. At least I've heard this. And then they just put like extra openings in the woman's body, and they all rape her at once. That that that. I bet that. Why'd you have to happened. tell me that, man? Took well, the took the piss right out of the whole thing. Well, I mean, I just I'm have just this. Saying, I could, just have you this. Cry, you could turn it up to eleven if you really want to. I just have this sort of. Uh, uh, image in my head of of some barbarian like uh eric the viking you know burst in through the door Mm -hmm. throw the girl into the hay Uh you know rip her bodice and she Mm -hmm. goes no and then you know there's some fucking in your chain mail and then uh that's it and you're done you You just leave her with a uh, uh a vaginal to colon stoma Jesus, man. You're That's a pretty side effect taking, of gang rapes. That's pretty common. You're really taking the romance out of medieval rape. I'm mm. sorry. Mm. Sorry to ruin your fun there. Oh, man. Okay, so anyway, but uh, yeah, so coming back and uh, obviously Death shows up, says, mm-hmm. hey, man, your number's up. And there's no impetus, right? It's not like he's suffering from the plague or half a, hacking up a lug. Or uh, he has some sort of 
malady or he should have fallen off a cliff a mile back down the road but didn't that kind of thing just says your numbers up final destination style they should do a final destination remake of the seven seal (laughs) yeah right seven seal two eight seal (laughs) 14th century or bust (laughs) so uh anyway um and he gets to this point where death shows up and then he hasn't gotten the answers from his faith or God mm-hmm. that he requires mm-hmm. in order to, I guess, justify his life, right? I mean, that's kind of the, 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 the crux of the matter. Well, I think a lot of it, and you haven't had this experience, but it comes down to the uh, crisis of faith with religion, which I went through, and I think a lot of people do. Uh, you just have to ask yourself whether you're going to believe in this stuff. And it comes down to believing or not believing. It's funny. I was having a conversation last weekend with some Jehovah's Witnesses that came by my house. Oh, you know, it's like talking to them. They, they People get annoyed. Nice guys. I mean, I don't think I'd want to be raised by those guys. I think they take their religion pretty seriously. But it was uh, like a, like a, he must have been like 13 or 14. And it looked like maybe his older brother was like 21 wow, or something. They, man, they, were the dressed are, really, they were dressed really nice. The Mormons are have the, at least they put out nineteen year olds. I don't know, thirteen and fourteen year olds are a little unarmed. Nineteen. Well, I think it's important to indoctrinate the young because that's you really lose them, especially in their teenage years where they start to actually ask some questions. Well, no, that's why Mormons are more hardcore because they've asked a few questions and they're still so? out there in their uh, ties and on their bikes trying to uh, get you come to come over. Uh, I think they're required by their families to do that, or they'll be outcast. Yeah, you're probably right. Or they don't get any of that hot Mormon tail. Oh, man. I'm I'm telling you, there is some kind of eugenics program going on in Salt Lake City. You've talked about uh, this before. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I... I have known several dudes who were, I guess, uh, sp- spiritually dead. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> have become born again Mormons mm-hmm. for some hot Mormon tale. And and if you've been into the malls of Salt Lake City or into the uh, oh, wh- what am I trying to say? If you've stocked schoolyards, <laughs> mm-hmm. yes, go on. I don't know, man. There is some hot Mormon chicks. They're mm-hmm. like these blonde, angelic. Just gorgeous girls. Well, maybe once you get in bed, that's your evidence. Your faith will return to you. There must be a God. I talked to a Mormon girl. Mm -hmm. She was already married. She was like 21. But we were flying down to San Jose, and I was just sitting next to her. And I didn't know that Mormon girls went out on missions as well. She did. And uh, anyway, I was talking to her, and she was just gorgeous. And she was telling me, he's like, oh, you know, I'm curious. So I was asking, okay, so where did you go? And, you know, how long did... Did they, they set you up for your mission? And, uh, you know, did you meet your husband that way? So I was just talking to her, just kind of general interest on topic, going, why is this girl so hot? And she's Mormon. Anyway, so that's my whole conspiracy is that they're mm. uber hot girls that they use to convert wayward men into the faith. And I think it works pretty well. So is this sort of like a twins type thing where they're like uh, taking twins and like giving all the good traits to one and then uh, making hideous uh, Danny DeVito uh versions of these uh, beautiful women was that the gist of that short story no, twins the movie twins oh, i'm sorry the movie uh, yeah, yeah the movie twins mm-hmm. yeah that there was a scientist like, a he, like took the dna and like put all the good parts into one but he had to do something with all the bad genes and he put it, that into danny devito as fucking if. and then he dumped danny devito in la when he was a kid into a and family. then schwarzenegger got pregnant or is that a different movie uh, I, I don't know, but junior, I'm pretty sure it's, it's not a tumor. Oh, fuck. Oh, man, where were we? We got so lost. I never uh, saw I never saw that movie. What was you it You were called? talking to just some Jehovah's Witnesses that showed up to the door. Oh, yeah, I'm just talking about faith and, oh, okay. uh, right. you know, maybe putting little seeds of doubt into that young man's head. Did you feel like you got anywhere? No, I didn't really care that much. Oh. Well, I had some Jehovah's Witness show up to my doorstep, and actually one of them was a girl I went to like junior high with. It was really awkward, but it was one of those stone summers at my parents' house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys and, go and uh, smoke a bl- spliff and talk about the 
Revelations? Oh, no. lost in that book. Well, they're Jehovah's Witnesses. They show up, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious, and I'm like, you know, what do you got? And they're like, well, you know, there's more war, more death, more uh, suffering than there's ever been in history, ergo the end times or soon. And I'm like, well, there's more people on the earth. So, of course, there's going to be more suffering, more death, more war. You just got more people around. And they're like, yeah. And I go, well, what if we go another 50 years and there's even more people suffering and dying and going to war? And they're like, well, that's the sign, too. It was just kind of – it kind of spun out. Like, I, I, I didn't – you bring a little bit of statistics in and all that shit just kind of faded away. It was a very boring conversation. Yeah, the end time stuff, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty weak sauce argument. Right so, but back in the 14th century of the Seventh Seal, you did kind of have an apocalypse. At least I th- was that the, the Black Plague, quote unquote. Was I mean that was the era of the film. I don't know if it was the 14th century, mm. but it was. I mean, there were a few plagues that went around. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know the timing of them, but uh, they there were some pretty significant calls of the population. You know, like 30, 40 percent. No, it was like events. what was it? A third or two thirds of Europe died during the plague. Um, I mean, I don't know, maybe some total. I'm not sure how you'd calculate that from these multiple. I think it's still around, the virus. Um, oh, it's a bacteria. It cro- it, oh, is, right? it's a bacteria? Yeah, I think it crops yeah. up every once in a while. I think we're well, largely immune to it. You just throw a few antibiotics at it and it goes away. Yeah, yeah. Idea. Tell that to the Jehovah's Witnesses when talking <laughs> about suffering. <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, anyways, things, but, he, things he comes back home. And it's sort of Robin Hoodie, I guess. Things aren't all great back on the home front. No. Well, people are dying. Yeah. I mean, dying in mass. And uh, so there's sort of that crisis of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've gone out on this epic quest. And for what? You know, you come well, back for nothing. and everybody's fucking dying and being punished. The 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 good Christian lands Flagellators. What's that? The flagellators. The flagell- I love the fucking flagellators, man. I think you get flagellators in every goddamn religion. Oh, yeah. Really? As soon as, as, soon as we get, like, a, in about 10 years when, when uh, there's a couple of, when the Earth's temperature goes up a little bit, I think we'll probably get a new flagellator sect of Christianity. Oh, my God. Well, like, the Shiites in Islam love the self-flagellation. Oh, really? Uh, the They're still doing is... it these days? Oh, yeah, no, man. Do, dude, shit's never gone away. It, it's still around. Yeah, no, they'll do... Uh, I think it's over the head. There's some martyr, whatever. Over the what? Over their head or something. like the, In Pakistan, it's a thing. Uh, I think in Iran, too. They, like, whip themselves with barb chains or something, and their back's all fucking meat in their head, and... It's just a mess, but they do it anyway. And then you get those crazy fucking Filipinos who are nailing themselves to crosses on Easter what? in the Philippines. You haven't heard about this shit? It's a whole thing. Why? They're actually nailing themselves? No, dude. They're tra- traditionally fucking crucified. nailing I them. Mean... Well, they might be doing it right. They might be going through the wrist. I don't know. Huh. Anyway. Right, well, you know, I, I, what I, all I have to say about giving yourself wounds in the 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 medieval ages probably a bad idea yeah it was especially infection on that well especially when when you had the bubonic plague which was a bacteria floating around uh yeah it wouldn't take much and i'm not sure how was that was that transferred through like animal feces or was was it transferred through fleas i believe oh was it a flea thing well yeah i guess if you have cuts on your back body it wouldn't make a big difference anyways I don't know. Okay, so where were we? Where are we getting to? Anyway, he comes back and uh, crisis of faith, and then death shows up mm-hmm. and propositions propositions him, or he propositions he death. propositions death, right? With a game of chess, mm-hmm. which is a very I think chess is probably the most humped metaphor in all of literature and film. Uh, it's right up there. I even humped it. If you buy my book, Nova Byzantium, coming out August something or other, you will mm-hmm. find a chess scene. I have a whole chapter dedicated to a, a chess metaphor. It's, it's, I, uh, we, we, I understand what you're saying. And now I read the Harry Potter books, and there's a chess biz, There's a chess puzzle yeah. in there. There's a chess but metaphor. I guess they don't really focus too much on the game. No, they don't. It's, it, more, it's, just a, it's more of a stall tactic. That, right. Uh, I mean, they could be uses. playing like Monopoly. Mm-hmm. For all it matters, uh, it's basically a way. 
And the thing I wondered is whether Antonius knew that he was eventually going to lose to death starting the chess game. Because he seems pretty resigned to it throughout the course of the film, right? It's like, oh, I got to go play a few moves with death here, you know, after this, 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 this moment, right? And then well, he, he wants uh, to figure out, he wants to see see the evidence to God with his own eyes is what he says. He well, the, why, why, if I can't believe, why should I believe the believers? He wants right. to, he wants to get some evidence. He wants, and then in the end he feels, I think he feels like he's not going to get it. He says he wants to just do one thing with his time left on earth. He feels like he's wasted his life. Right. And the thing is, is that death is sort of agnostic throughout the whole film, right? I mean, not forthcoming with the answers. Doesn't care. Well, he uh, says he doesn't he doesn't even know the answers. Well, right, agnostic. You know, doesn't mm-hmm. does he's just an agent of human existence. Yeah. Uh doesn't matter if you have faith, if mm-hmm. you don't have faith, if you have a different faith, doesn't give a shit. Uh, he's like the city guy working for the city's public utilities coming over and says he's got to do some work in your yard. Look, he doesn't care what the the big wigs upstairs said. He knows I got to dig a hole right here. I got it right here on this piece of paper. Well, wait a minute. What's the work order from? Who gave the work order? I was like, I don't care, man. I'm holding it right here. It's fine. I just got to go do it. (laughs) I had that situation where some fucking like hydro uh, physics, was it some hydrophysics company, which is, completely a, uh, a misnomer because it's just some guys that, that scope your sewer drain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they came out and they're like, got to scope your sewer drain. I'm like, why do you have to scope my sewer drain? You know, it's like Saturday mo- or it's like Thursday morning and mm-hmm. I had the day off and I just didn't want to be bothered. Well, we got to see if uh, we put some gas pipe in and we want to see if it's uh, uh, conflicting with the sewer drain. They go, I know it isn't because I know exactly where my sewer drain is because I fucking dug it up two years ago. When oh, the new up. one. Yeah, yeah. And I know where he laid the, oh, well, we just got to do it. It's like, look, man, I don't want you interrupting my house. Don't want you coming in. Don't just fuck off. And and it took me like three weeks to get those fuckers like away from me. Well, hold it. Did, what, isn't there an access where they could scope it from outside your house? I just didn't want them on my property. I just didn't want to be, it was like a matter of principle after a certain point. Like I, I stated my point of logic. And then Which, I cocked and I pumped my double-barreled shotgun. I said, you get off of here, you no good. Get out of my property. <laughs> it's like that crazy rancher. Did you spit Nevada. out a big lump of your chew? That's right. <laughs> it's like, I've seen your black helicopters floating over my house. You get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, but uh, death is just, uh, he's not even a supernatural agent, even though he appears that way in the film. Uh, he, he's just there to, um, he's like a, he's like an agent of the court, you know, he's just serving you. You're mm-hmm. being served. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he only gets proactive in that one guy when, uh, he has to cut him out of the tree. <laughs> That's pretty funny. He's being a dick. I mean, that is pretty funny. <laughs> this movie has got a lot of funny moments. It does. It. And that's I mean, kind of the, th- there's well, some good, what? there's some good times like when, um, uh, 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 Jones, the squire is um uh, uh goofing around with the uh the painter. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Early in the film when uh Antonius no, goes, this, to, goes to the church. This and there's the squire to yeah. Each other. yeah yeah right. There's lots of kind of like casual BS mm-hmm. and uh the scene where one of the players shows up in the tavern and then the smithy gives him shit and they're like taunting him and I guess that's not really funny. Uh, no. but, uh, uh, the characters are kind of humorous. Uh, who is the the player with the child? And uh, oh, Joff and Mia. Joff and Mia, mm-hmm. right? He was kind of a jovial, fun loving, uh, life absorbing uh, character, and it's interesting because he's the only one that didn't get recruited into the dance of death of that whole company. That oh, and Mia to... and their and their child Michael. Yeah, right, right. But that was based on the action of uh, Antonius. He does trick death. How does he trick death? Did I miss that? Uh, well, death is uh, death is going to claim them all once they get to. Um, they're all going to go to Antonius's house and hang out 
to hopefully miss the play because they heard it was on the other side of wherever they were traveling. That's right, yeah. And so they all were going to go out there, uh, and uh, Antonio said to Joff and Mia that they could hang out at his house for a while, at his castle, before they moved on to the other coast, which was supposedly safer. But once they all had got there, death knocks on their door in the middle of the night and claims them. But right. because of the, the game of chess was keeping uh, death's um, attention away uh, and the fact that uh, Joff could see death, they were Joff and uh, Mia and, and Michael were able to beat it in the middle of the night while death wasn't paying attention and thus elude his grasp. Okay. They stole away in the night mm-hmm. based on sort of a tip from yeah. uh, Antonius. Yeah. yeah, well, it just happened to be the happened to be the case, and Antonius noticed it and was sort of goofing around with the knocked over the pieces and whatnot. Not that I don't, I don't see how that would actually work because he's still going to have the work order. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, exactly. He's like, well, the only well, thing I was here, thinking, uh, he's going to get to his manager. You know, well, we had uh, <laughs> we had nine people lined up here going to pick up at that at that castle, and I only uh, I only see six here. Uh, oh, really? Whew, I must have misread that. Uh, mm, uh, well, gonna, somebody's going to have to answer to that paperwork error, that clerical error. The 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 thing about uh, the chess game with death, I was because I, I played chess. I was a chess nerd mm-hmm. back in the day. I lettered in chess. Don't tell me that the moves they made were illegal. Yeah, I can tell. That was one. <laughs> that was one thing they never flashed on the chessboard. So uh-huh. chess masters can go. Ooh, I don't know. I think death. <laughs> I think death was going to lose there. What was his? What was his entry strategy? Was that the uh, Eastern <laughs> Russian blah blah blah? Or, I don't know. Don't they have names for all those strategies? Oh yeah, I know. There's the there's all the French defense and the uh, English defense. The defenses are when the black uh, is the black side because you're defending against the initial move of white, mm. and white is always an opening. So oh, okay, that's the way it rolls. But uh, yeah, no, I played chess. Uh, I remember one time I was playing an individuals tournament. And I looked up on the board to see who I was playing because it tells you like the name of the the person you're playing and what table you're at. And then and you I hear like up... their music that they play when they come out, like back and black. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> then you rip off your shirt shit. and yeah. point mean, at the fans. Mean Gene is sitting there interviewing you, and you go, "Oh, I'll that's tell right. you. I'm gonna tell you. I'm coming for you, Rivet. I'm coming where's for the, you. Where's the lovely Elizabeth?" <laughs> So I look at the roster who I'm playing that shit you not Peter Pan, Peter fucking Pan. I look at that it's like I'm playing. It's like who two are you ends, playing? right? No, Peter Pan. Like it's like fucking One the, the boy and then never grew up. Uh, and I looked at it's like somebody said, who are you playing? I was like I'm playing fucking Peter Pan, man. It's like kid. what the fuck? And we look at it. We go fucking Peter Pan. Did you so look of like court- Peter Pan? Was it Shirley Andrews? Uh, it was, it was I mean, Peter was it Pan. an effeminate boy who you actually ended up playing? No, I'm going to tell you who it was, and you're okay. going to go, oh. All right. So it was an Asian kid. There you go. Oh, is Pan a surname? I in guess, I, I, I guess. Maybe second gen. I don't I don't remember hearing Pans. Interesting. I guess. I, fucking, I didn't play death, but I played Peter, Peter Pan, Pan in chess. Oh. <laughs> Did he beat you? Uh, I think I may have beaten Peter Pan. Mm, as good. I, I, and, and then I, 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 I didn't die. I guess I don't know whatever the reward is for beating Peter Pan. I don't have to face Captain Hook anyway. Uh, what the fuck was I going on about? Okay, so playing death. I was thinking, what if he stalemated death? What would happen then? Uh, I don't know. It's like asking for infinite wishes. Yeah, I guess is you have it? to play a game. What do you do if you're in like the tournament? You're in like a big tournament, and it's like the it's the final game in the tournament, and who's going to be the grandmaster? And they they play to a stalemate. Do they play another game right after that, or do they both get like half the purse? Well, usually there's series of chess games. You don't play just one. You play like five or seven or something like that. It's like so the that's best usually of, how it rolls. Okay. Yeah, that's usually how it rolls. They probably have to do it to you know best two or three or something, or do another right. game. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, so I was thinking. I know. We'd have, he'd have to check the death would have to check his rule books. He'd have to go back, talk to his manager. I think his USCF rating would go down <laughs> a little bit if he uh, stalemated some night that he was supposed to clip mm-hmm. you know, there at the end. But You'd never anyway. leave it down in the break room. All right. We need to get serious. We need to get into the, the dark, deep, thematic hearts of 
the Seventh Seal. So, did you like the movie? I loved. I loved it. Yeah, me too. And I hate old movies, so it's it's a bit contradictory. But there was one scene that uh, I think resonated more with me than anything else in the film, mm-hmm. and it melded a little bit more with. I guess not necessarily my life philosophy because I'm a fucking horrible worrier, but it definitely meshed with my ideal. And it was the scene when they were, what a fuck, what is the name of the family? God damn it. Which uh, family? The, the, the family of uh, actors? Yeah. I mean, there was Mia and Joff. Yeah. They were the couple and they had a child named Michael. And the other right. guy, the other, the other actor was Jonas. Okay, so... Uh, I'm looking at Mia and Joff, right? Mia and Joff, when when they're uh, kind of day camped there uh, on the hillside, and then uh, Antonius and, and John show up, mm-hmm. and they just kind of chill out and just have a moment. They have some berries. And, yeah, and, uh, and Antonius gets uh, kind of philosophical about the moment. He doesn't really state why but he just appreciates it mm-hmm. it's like a warm spring day you know berries and milk uh happy people mm-hmm. uh you know they talk about winter a little bit because you know winter's always coming regardless of uh how nice it is mm-hmm. and uh unless you're in the world of game of thrones and it's coming like 10 years but if you live on earth it's coming like a, pretty soon mm-hmm. and yeah, mia says she summer's nice at least you're not cold in winter but she says spring is her favorite time right and so uh it's it you know the, the plague surrounding them all that kind of misery so they're but sort of just, unawares of it to a certain degree well they're aware of it but they're just having a moment mm-hmm. and you have sort of this i wouldn't call it euphoria but blissful moment by antonius when he was talking about this is really what it's about, you know, sort of uh, uh, that's all you have in life mm-hmm. is just these beautiful moments and to waste them by focusing on trying to beat death in a, in a chess game, which is what I would be doing. Mm-hmm. I'd be like running around my head. I'd be a fucking head case going, thinking of the game over in my head, thinking, mm-hmm. oh, fuck, man, is he going to checkmate me in the next move? How do I get out of this? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Uh, because death comes for us all, right? I mean, that's kind of the idea. So yeah. it's it, it's you can delay it, uh, but you have to delay it for the right reasons. And so Antonia's whole rationale was, I need to absorb a few more moments, you know, a few more. And that is more religious than all this... Uh, Jesus Christ stuff? Yeah, the, all the this sort of stuff? like praying in the fucking church mm-hmm. and... And, some some uh, poor woman being burned alive as a witch. Well, all the the gravitas of that mm-hmm. is is muddies the point, in my opinion, or at least muddied the point that uh, that the film. And let's talk about the witch. I guess you know what did the witch, the the, the woman mm-hmm. who was going to be burned alive mm-hmm. for. Yeah, you know, I guess they were burning witches all over the place. Why would they have then? to kill such great snatch? Is all I was thinking. That's probably more to the truth of why they were burning young chicks back in the day. Than probably, anything. yeah. No, well, it was. Because, but no, but she, uh, but she was actually believed she was sort of possessed. Well, yeah. But who knows what sort of? I mean, her hands had been crushed, and she was put in stocks for God knows how long. She was probably delirious by that point. Well, you get told enough bullshit by enough crazy people for long enough back in the day when you don't have any of the, uh, I guess, intellectual firepower to defend it. You're just mm-hmm. going to succumb. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this is for the best. You know, I'm going on to a better place, whatever. Uh, but, you know, he kind of uh, questions her. Well, he like, wants seen to the devil? know. Does, 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 he wants to see if she, he says she's seen the devil, and he wants to see if there's truth there. And there isn't any. No, he looks deep into her eyes and just kind of empty and takes pity on her and gives her some sort of like maybe some poppy or something. Right, right. But there's no answers there. No. He doesn't ever get an answer from that situation mm-hmm. other than, uh, I guess, sort of the human reaction that it's just sort of a waste. It's uh, um, accelerating, uh, you know, what's already kind of a uh, miserable short life. Well, I mean, you sure that Antonios and Johns have seen 
more than their share of that. That's this one girl getting burned at the stake is a small matter for what the shit they've seen done in Jesus Christ's name over the last decade. Right. Well, yeah. Even though John's is upset about it. I guess maybe he was hoping he'd seen the last of it once he got it. They got out of the Middle East. Well, and it, you know, this they're supposed to be coming home and it's still here. Mm -hmm. So it's still the same bullshit. Right. Maybe that's the frustrating point about Mm -hmm. it. It's it's just like, uh, you know, I can't escape it. Uh, But anyway, it was that scene where they were they were kind of camped out Mm. and i used to play this mental exercise sometimes i occasionally still do where if i have to fly out on a monday Mm -hmm. i get very superstitious which is odd for me Mm -hmm. but i will and i know air travel is i hate well here's the thing i hate fucking business travel i piped up about it a lot i fucking hate it it's like a small death enjoy business travel (laughs) i fucking hate it and so it's like a small death Every business trip is a small death. Well, basically you killed a day of your life. I've killed multiple days of my life. And Mm. you're killing it in these fucking living tombs of airports and airplanes. Uh, I just, it's, it's, you're incarcerated. Mm -hmm. That's the worst part about it. You're just totally fucking incarcerated. It's like going to jail. Every time I pull up to SeaTac, it's like, you know, the TSA folks might as well be the sheriff. Yeah, I'm just going the in there, that you know, stripped down. It's like you might as well be going into the hole. That's the way I feel. I fucking hate it, and uh, so I get sort of caught up with this uh, day before I have to go on a business trip, mm-hmm. and it's not so much like, well, what if I die during this business trip? It kind of floats in there every now and then, but it's more of a, a removal from my current life for a couple of days, and then. Yeah. You know, like Jesus, I'm resurrected on the third day, and I show back up on a delayed plane from. And your wife goes, "You can't be back. You're on a business trip." That's right. <laughs> I doubt you're real, and you show her the stigmata, and she believes. That's right, exactly. <laughs> so that day before, I, I I get wistful, I guess, and uh, like every little habit of my day has takes on new meeting mm. uh as if this would be the last kind of thing mm-hmm. and so uh, it's weird like i really do it brings it into focus sort of like that scene with with where antonius is reflecting on subtlety mm-hmm. and uh his time is nigh and he knows it is and so that hit me just in a really i don't know I get a little emotional about it. Well, I mean, it's important. He's basically, he's late to his, it's the evening. He's enjoying himself and he's, he knows he's late to his date with death for the chess game where he shows up late and death berates him a little bit. (laughs) I mean, it reminded me of the, one of the better days I've had. It was strangely, it was during that trip to Scotland and usually trips aren't the most relaxing times, you know? No, they're a little harried. You showed up a little harried. I remember. Oh that well, yeah, that, 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 that first uh, that first thirty hours were a little tough. <laughs> but uh, uh, it was when we were up uh, somewhere on the Isle of Skye, and we, Gene and I took this. There's like this white sand beach way up there. You can take a short hike to. And oh, near Dunvegan. Yeah, Castle. near Dunvegan. It was really beautiful and it was sunny, and we were just sitting on this naturally like golf course, like grass field by the shore, just by the nature of the uh should anyone on the golf course it was scotland there wasn't it wasn't a golf course right. but it, the grass was just like a golf course it was like, you start it, playing it was real golf short yeah and we we're just sitting i was just sitting back and just uh, it was a beautiful day it was a fucking day. beautiful day i was yeah. i i was there like a day later or that day i think we showed up we like kind of overlapped trips out to sky uh but yeah i mean it was fucking cloudless 70 degrees mm-hmm. It was so gorgeous, and uh, everybody there was like, you know, it doesn't normally do this this time of year here. Yeah, yeah, we got. Like, oh yeah, no, we know. We're from the northwest of, uh, yeah, we're from Seattle. We know exactly what we're talking about. They got worse anyway. weather there, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think they do. Plus, actually. shorter days in the winter. But yeah, yeah that was true. that was one of those times where you, you actually pause for a moment and just uh, enjoy living for that time. Uh, yeah, well, and then that's the stuff that you haul around with you. I mean, that's the thing, mm-hmm. you know, and the thing that pisses me off is I think of those kind of moments and I'm a worrier. So I know I was worrying about something at the time because that's the fucking what I do. Mm. But when I reflect on that moment, I don't think about what I was worrying about at the time. 
it burns away. And then I think, why the fuck was I worrying in the first place? You know, which is upsetting to me because it means I was devaluing that moment by uh, pointless hand wringing, and then I get upset about it. You know, so anyway. Well, I guess the thing is, I don't think. Well, Antonius has that moment in the end when death finally comes a knocking. Antonius sort of falls back on his old religion. Yeah, I, 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 what, 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 what exactly? I so forget. What he it, doesn't. He doesn't really. It doesn't seem like he really learns anything. I guess he can't learn anything. All he really did did was save three lives from from death's scythe. Right. In yeah, the end, but he, still cried, he still cried to God. I mean, the I only person that was really an atheist in this whole movie was Johns, the hard, grizzled squire. Yeah, he didn't really give a fuck. I like that character quite point. a bit. He was pretty groovy. Right. He, uh, he, yeah, he, he played definitely a... Sp- All the characters in the movie played uh, an archetype, mm-hmm. I guess, if you will. Uh, I don't have the uh, academic investment into the Seventh Seal to actually sketch out those archetypes, but everybody was playing something. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, it's like Johns had given up his faith a long time ago, back in the middle when they were in the Middle East. Well, yeah, because he he's more mercenary than than Antonius by a huge stretch. That's just his nature. He's a he's a man of realism, and he got he got the mysticism beaten out of him already. Yeah, exactly. and so it's sort of like, what's Antonius going for? Is he does he want to be more like? I mean, if he wants to, he if he wants to turn his back on God and religion. You sort of end up having to be more of a realist. Uh, I mean, what, what are your options? You can be like Antonius, you can be like Johns, or you could be sort of enjoying the life moment to moment and open to things like Joff, right? Or you could be stupid like Plog, yeah, right. or or Craven like uh, Ravel the Thief, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody, everybody's playing a little part. Mm-hmm. Like you, you just went. That's probably the, as good as we're going to get in this podcast. But that's a good rundown of exactly uh, kind of the the ensemble mm-hmm. that you get in the film. Uh, although you know the players, the players always seem like a. Uh, Theatrical crutch. I'm not going to call them a theatrical crutch. They show up in Shakespeare a lot. The players. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Uh, just a band of of traveling minstrels and bards. You know oh. that show up and and I don't. It's like the fool. Uh, you know, the fool has sort of a uh, theatrical role to play and mm-hmm. and like as the truth teller, that kind of thing, especially in Shakespeare. And but the but the players show up quite a bit and well they're colorful i mean you can't just have like the swineherd and the uh the uh like the the kitchen wench and right the, uh you know i don't know whatever like the guy who digs up turnips all day long <laughs> the, the turnip I mean, what sort of fun times are they gonna have they're all covered in either they're covered in mud or they're covered in feces <laughs> i think i think monty python hit all those archetypes really well and uh Fucking uh, the Holy Grail, but yeah, it, the, the the players always seem to have this this role this role where they're maybe kind of hitting the thematic home run a little bit to solidify it. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a plot mechanism, an overused well, plot. I mean, mechanism. it is, but those are the people who in who in the world in the in the, this world, this medieval world, has the time to think about. Like those ideas, it's either going to be the upper crust when they're not out warring and, and beating down the small folk, or it's the singers and the actors. Well, and the difference is, is as traveling minstrels, they're kind of peasant artists, which mm-hmm. you didn't get a whole lot of back in the day. You know, you got uh, the artists were commissioned by the church, and they were uh, most of the time aristocrats. Uh, moneyed people who had the time most mm-hmm. people were just trying to scratch out a fucking turn up here and there yeah but the but the minstrels are a little different because they're 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 much more i guess uh 
yeah, peasant peasantry, mm-hmm. and they speak more truth on that level because they have much more in common with with the people that they're interacting with. All this, so, all this movie was missing was like a monk. <laughs> well, or, or a runaway joker from mm-hmm. some court, court, a runaway fool. That, and then they need a sorcerer, and then uh, who else do they need? Do they need like a, a witch? Uh, they had a witch. Maybe a wood imp. already here. There's a witch. <laughs> oh, they a do what? have a witch. A wood imp? A w- I'm, just trying, I'm, trying no, to, no, I'm no. trying to round out my D&D party here. <laughs> anyway, but I was watching the, 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 the minstrel scene where they're performing right before the flagellators show up and mm. everything but they're they're doing their little song and dance there and as long as i could think of was man entertainment was for shit back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> i could i i i like i like the way that bergman filmed the crowd just like a bunch of dipshits some, <laughs> some uh like some fighters and chain mail right just and, just like there ain't nothing fucking better to do they threw it they threw like an old like a a clump of manure or something at uh, Jones. I know, man. I just I'm saying, no matter how hard the wandering minstrels try, it's still kind of for shit or entertainment. So yeah. yeah. What you gonna? You I, take what you can get. I think. I'd I'd rather watch. If, a I, punch if I was in that village, show. I'd probably go watch that too. <laughs> I'd be like, uh, "Is there? A punch, when's the Punch and Judy show showing up? I don't know if I can take these fuckers again. Jesus Christ." <laughs> All well, right. there so, you go. So it was a man struggling with his faith. It seems like it's deeper than that. And I think there's a lot of film, uh, je ne sais quoi, of Ingmar Bergman's that we're probably skipping right over. Oh, well, I don't think, I don't think you, I mean, maybe there's some deeper stuff here, but uh, I don't see why you need it. This is, this is a, a rather approachable film. Well, and a significant portion of it is little anecdotes, not necessarily it's fun uh, Antonius scenes. with death. That's mm-hmm. kind of a, a, a scaled down portion of the film. A lot of it is like, you know, uh, the scene in the tavern with Joff and and uh, I guess the who the fuck were the who was the the smithy uh, um, plog. plog. Yeah, and everybody's giving him a hard time. Uh-huh. That scene went on for like a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm. Like it was only a ninety minute film. So. Yeah, was, the movie moved fast. Had some great characters. You know, if you would, if somebody would do a really good, like dub of it, I, I could see how people could. I mean, not that somebody would choose to, but if you grabbed just some yabo and sat him down and, and showed them that film with a really good dubbing, that they would enjoy it at least. Yeah, and. Uh, it, it's pacing's a, a little bit slow, but it's 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 a movie by that, today's standards, yeah. Well, but I know, it's but not, it's but a movie. I, it's not it's not slowly paced. I think. Well, I'll tell you this: a, a movie that clip. I really enjoyed, and I forget the director, Valhalla Rising. Mm-hmm. Never seen it. I fucking love that movie. What, what, slow as fucking snot, man. That is from? the slowest fucking movie made in the twenty aughts that I think. Uh, I've ever seen. Hmm. It takes, uh, oh shit, who did the Thin Red Line? And, um, God damn it. Um, oh, I'm failing. I'm failing here. Thin well, Red Line. Well, look, I'm not, I'm not, you know me, I'm terrible with names. The only <laughs> thing I'm worth, worse is, uh, is faces. Okay. Terrence Malick. Oh, yeah. Who oh, yeah I'm Malick. sure all of our listeners are very familiar with. Terrence Malick. And slows Terrence Malick down. <laughs> <laughs> a fucking brutal, uh, devastatingly slow pace. Really? And uh, let's see, Nicholas Nicholas Winding Refn. I that's the that's the director of all and Valhalla Rising, and he did, I believe, Drive. The oh, did he do Drive? Kind of got the kind of got thrashed a little bit. Yeah, I'm looking here. Slowing it all down. Yeah, he did Drive, but he also did Valhalla Rising, which is filmed before that. Mm-hmm. And Valhalla Rising is very similar. It has the whole. It's it's I guess has quest nights and that whole thing in it, but it is slow, man. It is fucking way slower than the Seventh Seal, and I enjoyed the shit out of this or out of that. So, um, and it's because it dealt with sort of bigger questions, and when you deal with bigger questions. Uh, I can kind of forgive the maybe the lack of plot or the lack of 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 scene to scene vivacity uh, a little bit more. You know what I mean? 
No, I don't, I'm not familiar with the term vivacity. Vivaciousness. Oh, okay. Uh, it's it's. I didn't see it, that. I, I thought I thought I didn't I didn't find it to be slow at all. Or, well, it's or, not or disjointed. It's not slow. I'm talking about for an old movie. It's definitely slow to today's standards. You know, if 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 it was going to be about quest nights, you'd want to see Max von Sydow like uh, at least for the first five minutes gutting. Oh yeah, yeah. There'd be a, there'd be a fifteen Muslims. minute uh, uh, scene before they headed back where he's killing a bunch of the. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, I think that's not the proper nomenclature. Dude. I don't think, I don't think that. Uh, is. Anyway, so yeah, you, you'd you'd see that, right? You get, oh, okay, that's 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 pretty cool. And then death would uh, definitely be a lot more imposing and a lot more, uh, you know, bombastic, that kind of thing. You'd appear, appear in whirlwinds as opposed to showing up from behind a tree, that kind of thing. Let's go check a review. <laughs> For review, I'm turning to uh, somebody we've seen before from the New York Times, Bosley Crowther. Uh, he was a, a reviewer during the mid uh, 20th century with the Times. Uh, this review is from October 14th, 1958, um, <clears throat> and he's writing about a viewing he saw in Paris. Rather nice, huh? Oh, how he says, yeah. this initially mystifying drama turns out to be a piercing and powerful contemplation of the passage of a man upon this earth. That's pretty nice. Yeah. Um, he says the movie is tough, is as tough as rewarding. A screen challenge, a screen challenge, the moviegoer as, what the hell? He says, oh, it's as tough and, and rewarding of a screen challenge as the moviegoer has to face this year. I guess he's just saying it's something to think about. Um, he does call the, uh, the the traveling actors, and I guess he's just really speaking of Joff and uh, and uh, Mia, that they are as fresh and wholesome as the morning dew. <laughs> okay. Isn't that nice? <laughs> yeah. Very I, old-timey talk going on with I this like guy. morning dew. I want to bring morning dew back. Oh, I prefer Mountain Dew. It's fresh and... Uh, as clean as morning dew on my ball sack in the morning. <laughs> Fuck. I don't think that's morning dew. Continue. <laughs> it's some sort of dew. Uh, oh, mountain dew. Um, it is a provocative picture filled with intimations. That is true. Some what you want to make of them and some as clear as the back of your hand. What? It's a yeah. mixed metaphor right there. I yeah. Think. I guess you, I mean, he says you can. And he doesn't really go into talk about it very much. Or at least he does. I don't understand what he's yakking about. All right. Here's another sentence I don't really understand. But the profundities of the ideas are lightened and made flexible by glowing pictorial presentation of action that is interesting and strong. I think he's just saying that uh, the way the film film is shot is... Lightens it up a little bit, which I think I is. Yes, this seems like a very uh, freshman one hundred and one. Yeah, type it's not, of a, review. not a very good review. I think maybe it was a little no. beyond Bosley. I mean, no. he didn't even talk about religion at all. I guess maybe that was verboten in nineteen fifty-eight. Maybe it's a little little strong there, uh, Crowther. For uh, let's you just get rid of that atheist <laughs> bullshit in there, because that's, right. that's what the commies want you to think. That's right. Good God for American Christians <laughs> are going to see this film. This is one nation under God, Crowther. You take that continental <laughs> bullshit and you leave it there in Paris. <laughs> I get to see some guy yelling at him. I have a feeling the editor got to that review a little bit. It's pretty much a vapid nothingness of a review. I read Ebert's Great Movies review, and while a lot of it is sort of summarizing Bergman's film history and his uh, arc of film ranking, filmmaking, he basically sums up Bergman's uh, big question that he tries to ask and answer in uh, a significant amount of his films is where is God in all of this? Uh, mm. I guess Bergman was sort of obsessed with this with uh, if God's so important, then where is he? Yeah. Why uh, is which he lost is, in shadow? 
Yeah, which is sort of, I'm done with that kind of. Uh, he's not there. Questioning. Yeah, he's fucking not there, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're John's, man. We're all John's yeah, man. these days. I, I don't know. I think I hit John's stride back when I was about 17, but yeah. uh, I guess other folks wrestle with it uh, a mm-hmm. lot more, and Bergman was one of those individuals. Seventh Seal is a reference to, I think, a half-hour absence of, of God, God's voice in some portion of revelations I don't yeah there's all this this is all this crazy shit well paul was like fucking starving in a uh dungeon cell when he wrote yeah this so he was like delirious it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty incredible read if you like yeah. crazy imagery it's like some sort of acid trip really uh i can like uh altered states just watch altered states you'll be good to go uh, uh, anyway, about all states. That was a shitty movie. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. All right, so but he does uh, comment on the one scene I brought up. Uh, in old age, uh, he turns his memories for what answers there are. I assume he's talking about Bergman. He's talking about Bergman, and in many of these films, there is the same kind of scene of reconciliation in the Seventh Seal facing the end of his own life and the general destruction of the plague. The knight spends some time with Joseph and Mary and their child and says, I will remember this hour of peace, the dusk, the bowl of wild strawberries, the bowl of milk, Joseph with his lute, and saving his family from death becomes his last gesture of affirmation. So that was the scene I kind of glommed on to, yeah. maybe interpreted it for myself a little bit more than what Ebert was getting at, but it definitely maybe. had resonance, and it's always good art when it's uh, evoking, regardless of what the uh, academicians tell you about that particular vignette. Anyway, so uh, that was kind of it, and uh, not much else. He said it's the most literal of Bergman's movies with regard to this question of God. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I don't, I don't see it as a huge allegory necessarily. It seems pretty straightforward to me. It's very straightforward. It's very literal, obviously. Yeah, so it's, it's weird because Crowther titles his review from 1958 as Swedish allegory has premiered at Paris. But it's, it's not really an <laughs> allegorical film. No, it's literal. <laughs> it's yeah. Really I mean, I think that's maybe where we were a little confused at the beginning because we, we thought it should be allegory, but the way I viewed it and see it, it's literal. Which is fine uh, because it tells, it tells it with imagery. See, I don't, so. I, don't think there's, I don't think there's necessarily more than what we saw. That's what I'm saying. This film is really accessible. Well, when you see a crusade night on the beach playing a chess match with death, if they just saw a, a painting of that, You'd be like, I know exactly what's going on here. <laughs> it wouldn't take you very long to figure it out. Mm. Uh, it, it it kind of opens the kimono. Uh, you don't have to uh, dissect and 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 uh, all that. All that analysis is is absolutely unnecessary. It's very quite literal. Yeah, this movie's not arty, though it's got beautiful composition. Strangely, even though it's total art house, it's not very arty. No, it's just it's just a beautiful film. Well, and it's most notable for its visuals. I think yeah. that's that's sort of bar none, right? Oh, yeah, yeah I mean, it's gorgeous. Especially visuals. the end scene is probably one of the most significant scenes in cinematic. Oh, with history. him walking up that. Uh, yeah, really? I, I, the, I didn't the find dance that, of death. Is that what it's called? It looks like they were just tied on a rope going up a hill. Whatever, man. I, I maybe it, it it it's lost its impact, but it's it's known for that scene. Oh, really? It's I, also I known for the it. initial scene with with uh, the knight on the beach playing. I think if anybody thinks of the Seventh Seal, that's exactly what they think of. Not. Yeah, I guess I think of the recently. guy who plays Death and his costume design. Right. Right. Oh, it's you funny. Don't think you, of Bill and, remember that Bill and scene? Ted's bogus journey. Uh, there was an image from, well, of course, Bill and Ted's bogus journey. I mean, we should go into that allegorical morass at some point. Um, but uh, there was a scene from, um, so, um, what was it called? Signs? I don't know what the fuck the name of that movie. Threads. Threads. Where there was a scene like the dance of death. I actually put it on the website. Oh, yeah. I where, remember that. Uh, where that main character, Jennifer, or whatever her name was, was walking, silhouetted. Right. Maybe well, that was the from there. The Seventh Seal is one of those films that has been parodied, like in our beginning clip, so many times, and maybe recycled and reused so many times uh, that 
it's just in our pop culture dialect. We can't we can't see the source as well these days. It's just so uh, you know, it's like the Maltese Falcon, which I, I thought, found kind of humorous. I thought the Maltese Falcon was pretty good. Yeah, you liked it, but it, it has it has all the little cliches. It's like, oh, well, it's like, oh, well, this is the original thing. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's right. That was our big argument about the Maltese <laughs> right. Falcon. Right. right. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I think we're done with Seven Seal. Yeah, what are we doing know. next, man? We uh, keeping uh, keeping it classic. It's time to squeal like a pig, I'm afraid. It's time to squeal like a pig. Are you ready for that? I'm always ready for that, man. (laughs) So I think this is John Borman. Did John Borman do? We already did a Borman film. What did Uh, we do? We did Excalibur. Yeah, Uh, I enjoyed Excalibur. I thought it was pretty good. uh, Let me make sure. Let me make sure I'm right. I don't know. Uh, I haven't done my research just yet. John Borman did Excalibur, and he... Did oh fuck man, it was a long time ago that movie came out. He did Deliverance. He was a producer in Deliverance in oh, 1972. He was just he producer. Directed. He wasn't director. No, he directed it too. Oh okay. So anyway, uh, I think Deliverance is uh, it's just one of those movies, and uh, we're gonna go ahead and, and review it. It's a good Burt Reynolds film. Big yeah. fan of the Burt. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I got I got uh, I got a soft spot for old Burt and his playgirl layout. Remember that one. <sighs> Bert's fucking awesome in Deliverance. That's uh, Bert's a fucking good actor. I know. We always think of him. Mm-hmm. We always think of him as Smokey and the Bandit, mm-hmm. but uh, he does have uh, does have a little bit of firepower. No, oh, yeah, he was great in Boogie Nights. Yeah, he's good in Boogie Nights. He was good in uh, Mars Attacks. Oh, he was in Mars Attacks. Yeah, that was actually a pretty fun movie. <laughs> All right, so next week we're doing Deliverance, and until then. They don't pay the moment, take. Let him show. <laughs> <laughs>